this story to make sense, I need, I need us all to enter into a certain headspace. And it's a warm headspace. So I need you to imagine with me that spring is so close to coming on its way. And you can feel that warm uh, July sun on your face. You can feel the warm breeze. Maybe you're sitting at the beach. You feel the, the earth of the sand beneath your toes and in your hands. You can, you can feel the bright light of the sun high, high in the sky. That's where our story begins today. Because that was Abraham. If you want to follow along in Genesis 18, you can do that with me. But Abraham, by this point in the story, was 99 years old. And he had just finished his morning chores. He had about, what, 300 servants, so probably a whole tent city. He had all kinds of, of cattle and lambs and animals and livestock. He was a very wealthy man. He was nomadic. And he had a lot of chores in the day. He did a lot of things to oversee. And so that would have been done in the morning. But he lived in the desert. He lived in, in a very arid land. And so every day they would take a siesta. And so the sun had climbed while he was doing his chores, and now it had reached the highest point, and it was the hottest part of the day. And I can just imagine Abraham as a, kind of an old, old, tired man taking a big old cup of water and letting that, that cool water drip down his beard. And he wipes his beard, and he kind of moves his tunic and shawl to get comfortable, and he just leans against the outer post of his tent. And he just kind of sits in the earth and he breathes. <sighs> Another day. And he just starts to doze off. Who loves a good afternoon nap? I sure do. Especially ones by the wood stove where like, just the heat overwhelms you. It's wonderful. You just got to imagine that kind of feeling of peace and rest. And, he's, and Abraham is just letting his old bones sink down to the ground and he's just starting to doze off when he feels a sudden presence as if something or someone is watching him and he opens his eyes and a little off in the distance are three men standing now what three men were doing traveling in the heat of the day he didn't know but you need to imagine this that He's woken from his, his siesta, and Abraham kind of jumps up as fast as an old man can probably jump. And he, he, I can just imagine kind of scrumbling and scrambling to his feet, and the dust shaking off his sandals, and he runs out to meet these three men. He runs. And when he gets there, he throws himself at their feet. And he addresses them. He says, Master. Let me, let me help you. Stay a while, if, if you would. I'll get some water to wash your feet. I will uh, prepare a small snack for you. Uh, I'll bring it out to you. And if you want to stay uh, as long as you want, I, I would love if you did before you keep going on your journey. And the three men replied, sure, certainly, we'll stay. 
Now to look at them, the Bible doesn't give much of a description, but I can't help but imagine them in kind of white robes, maybe, maybe a beard or so, a stoic face, a serious face, but a kind face on each of these men. And I can't imagine uh, seeing any sweat on their brow. These visitors kind of showed up from nowhere. But here they were, Abraham scurrying to greet them, and he runs back into his tent. And he, he yells out for his wife, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. I have a job for you. Take three cups of flour, churn it, and make bread. Sarah, who's 90 at this point, obliges and starts doing, doing the work that her husband's asked her to do. And Abraham doesn't stop. He, he runs out through the, through the tent, down to his field where his, his livestock are kept. And he passes the chickens and he passes the goats and the lambs and he goes right for the, for the cattle. And he calls out to his servant, servant, take this best plumpest, nicest, juiciest calf, slaughter it and prepare it, roast it. The servant says, sure. Abraham doesn't stop there. He runs back up into the tent and he puts his best culinary skills to work and he prepares curds and milk, maybe some wine, maybe some butter. And while Sarah is making the flatbread, and the servant is roasting the calf. And Abraham is preparing. The three men are just waiting outside under this nice oak tree, the shade of this beautiful oak tree. Finally, the, the roast comes in, and Sarah's got the, the bread, and Abraham kind of plates it all in this big platter, and he probably sprinkles some, what do you put on top of something like thyme or rosemary? I'm not a cook. I can barely make Pillsbury Crescent Rolls let alone anything of substance or value. He, he sprinkles and he plates this just beautifully. And he lifts it up with his old, old man arms and he slowly walks it out to these three men. And he puts this, this meal before them. And then it does something very interesting. He stands to the side as the three of these men eat. And he waits on them like a servant. Now, some interesting things to note in this story. If we were to pause right there, some interesting things to note. One, Abraham was a wealthy, uh, very, uh, he was well-known. He was rich. He was the, the master of his house. And it's odd to see him running around. A, a near 100-year-old man running, literally running back and forth. That's odd. That's an oddity, number one. Two, he says to these three men, I'm going to bring you a, like a, basically a snack, like a, a light snack to keep you on your journey. But in fact, what he actually does is if you look in, in, in the Hebrew, it's not three cups of flour, it's three siyas of flour. Everybody say that, sia, sia. Now, in, in the ancient times, it was believed that a third of a cup, a third of a sia would feed one man. Okay, so about 30% of a, one sia of flour would feed a man, a grown man. Abraham asked Sarah to produce 10 times the amount of bread that was actually needed. Three cups of sia would have fed probably 12 or 15 men. Now, he didn't have to provide much. Hospitality is very important in those days. Actually, the ancient world kind of relied on it. So it would have been very standard for him to kind of take his guests in and feed them and give them some water and some shelter if they needed it. 
But he didn't have to, to kill a calf. A lamb would have been plenty. A goat would have been just fine. And maybe no meat at all would have been sufficient. But he goes to his very, very best. And he picks not only a, a, a calf, but he picks his best calf. And he roasts it in the middle of the day. So he doesn't bring back a snack. He brings back a feast. A whole big old feast for these three guys. And then he stands back and watches. Now, this is the interesting part. If you're in your, in your Bible, in uh, Genesis 18, 9, they, the three of them said, where is Sarah, your wife? Now, for the pause again, how did they know he was married? How did they know her name? It's possible he, they heard him call it out. That's pretty presumptuous. And Abraham replied, she is in the tent. And then the Lord, in, in, in Genesis, it, it switches from they or he to the Lord says, I'm going to return to you in about a year's time. And when I come back, your wife will have a son. 99-year-old Abraham, 90-year-old Sarah. Three guys show up, and one of them, the Lord, I'm going to come back in a year, and your wife is going to have a son. Now, what's really interesting about this story is Sarah, after she's done making the flatbreads, this, this heaping pile of bread, she's waiting inside the tent and she's listening. She's eavesdropping. She wants to hear what's going on out there. And she hears this man say, in a year, your wife, Abraham, is going to have a son. And she laughs to herself. Me, an old woman beyond the childbearing years with an old man have a son? That's laughable. But there's something subtle in her laugh and I think, it, I think it's worth exploring. The Bible doesn't say she laughs out loud. The Bible doesn't say she mocks. The Bible says she laughs to herself. It would be as if someone came to me and said, Amos, in a year you're going to have a baby. You are going to give birth to a baby. Like, come on. It's laughable. And if we remember our, our, our beautiful couple up here before, there's some layers to this laugh. There's some nuance to this laugh. And, and, it, and it takes a little bit of investigation to remember that Abraham and Sarah had been married for many, 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 many years, decades. And in the ancient world, it was the, the woman's job to bring heirs, to bring forth children, to carry on the family name, to carry on the family tradition, uh, to, to bring forth an heir through the bloodline. That was her primary role. And for all of these years, Sarah had been unable to do it. But I think it's worth investigating to, to, to think about those first couple years of marriage, when they would have consummated their marriage in their tent, and all the family would have been waiting for, for the good news. When is Sarah going to be pregnant? 
And then the first year goes by, you know, that's maybe normal. And two years goes by, and, you know, she's a young woman, that's normal. And you can imagine the elderly woman and, and the women in, in, who had children maybe came up to her and said, don't worry, like, things happen, just let it, let it take its course, let nature take its course. And two years turns into five, and they're still childless. And there's a little, maybe a little bit of suspicion that creeps in, but they're still young, there's still time. Five years turns into ten. Ten turns into fifteen, and I can't help but imagine that in this polytheistic world, Abraham's father uh, probably sold idols in the city of Ur. I can't help but imagine that, that Sarah probably petitioned to the gods. She probably got on her face and prayed to God or the gods for a baby. And after 15 years and 20 years, she still has no children. And that must have meant that she was cursed. That she had no place to have babies. And now, not just the, the, the kind of the sadness and the sorrow of the immediate family, but, but the mocking and the scoffing and the pointing and the whispers behind the door of the people in the city. Sarah has no children. What a shame. What a shame for Abraham. What a shame for his family. And the 20 years turns into 30. And the older Sarah gets, the more hardened her heart must have become. And carrying that shame and that guilt and that sadness and that sorrow on her back for year after year after year until she approaches the natural time in her life when having babies is impossible. And at that point, I can't help but imagine that her, the apathy just kind of set in. This was her lot in life. This was her, her burden to carry. This was her, her deep down shame that she just had to live with and die with. And so in those years when Abram is called out of Ur and they're nomadic and they're wandering through the land. And she's believing her husband's conviction that the God of one is speaking to him. And she no doubt would have heard this promise that God had given Abram, that he would be the father of a great nation. I can't help but wonder how she would have felt. And you you can read the biblical story that they they didn't have a great lot of trust in in God's promise that Abraham would be the father because they kind of toy with the idea of Lot being his, his heir then Eliezer being his heir, then then Ishmael being his heir, but none of it sufficed. And those 20 years or so wandering in the wilderness, three guys show up, and one of them says, in a year, you're going to have a baby, a son, in your 90s. It's laughable. And I don't think she's mocking God. I don't think she's angry. It's, I think that laugh was coming from, from a deep place of sadness, maybe a, a tiny glimmer of hope. But it's laughable. And then something kind of awkward happens. Abraham and Sarah, or, or God and Sarah, have a conversation through the tent without actually looking at each other. They said to him, where's your wife, Sarah? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So she laughed to herself. 
after I am worn out and my Lord is old, I shall have pleasure and have a baby? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I bear a child? You see that kind of triangulation? God says to Abraham, but actually speaking to Sarah, why did you laugh? Is there anything too hard for God? Is anything impossible for God? And he says again, that next time, this time next year, I will return to you. And Sarah will have a son. But Sarah's kind of, I think, she kind of realizes what Abraham had realized probably a few hours before. She realized in, in a moment, just that, that stomach-dropping moment, that these aren't just normal guests. That they're actually hosting Yahweh. The God of one. He's actually here, eating their food. And she laughs to herself, and he says, why are you laughing? Is there nothing impossible for me? And then she realizes, oh my goodness, I'm talking to God. So she did what, what Eve did in the garden. I, I didn't laugh. And God said, no, you laughed. It was a little unfair here is because a few chapters, a few verses before, Abraham heard this news, fell on his face laughing, and God didn't scold him. But here it almost feels like God is scolding Sarah. Why did you laugh? I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. Is there nothing impossible for God? Now, what drew me to this story originally was that it was a meal story. We've been going through the midweek meal, and, and we've been highlighting uh, kind of chronologically meal stories in the Bible, and there's a lot of them. And this one is really interesting. It's a really interesting meal story, and it actually gives a lot of details of the food that they ate. And that's what kind of drew me to this story. And I thought that was the point of the story. Well, Abraham is sitting down eating with God. That's a pretty important story to tell. But the more I thought about it and the more I kind of wrestled through, it's like, this, this doesn't, that doesn't seem satisfactory. There's something else here. I thought, okay, well, it's not, if it's, the meal is important. That, that conversation and hospitality and hosting God and having community with him, absolutely, that's, that's very important. But maybe it's about the impossibility of this thing that God promises to Sarah, this baby. It's the impossible made possible through Yahweh, through God. I sat on that. I was like, no, that, that doesn't seem right either. That's important. The meal is important. This impossible made possible. That's important too. With this baby, like that's totally improbable. It's not, that's, that's an incredible story. But that didn't seem sufficient to me. And then it's just Sarah's face behind the tent laughing to herself. It struck me. It's not so much that they hosted God and ate with him. It's not so much that he gave an impossible promise to Sarah and Abraham. It was that he actually showed up at all. I can't help but feel like Sarah felt totally and utterly forgotten. That she felt invisible in this story. That the years of sorrow and grief and pain led to an apathy and a feeling of just utter forgottenness. That God and her relationship was almost non-existent. 
And the miracle, I think, of this story is that God actually didn't forget her at all. The miracle is that he actually showed up and he had conversation with her and he heard her pain and they talked. In this timeline that we tried to go through this morning, what's remarkable is God broke through history to meet with people. And the promise that he gave Abraham was that the whole world would be blessed through his family. That this son that Sarah would bear, that she would have within the year, a whole nation of people would come out of it. And from that whole nation of people, God himself would interject and break through history in the form of a baby born in Bethlehem. The miracle of this story is that God cares enough to show and that he hasn't forgotten anybody. That the blessing from this family is present in this room right now. And that the God incarnate, who was born in Bethlehem, who lived a life and died on the cross and was resurrected three days later, he sends his spirit so that we can have communion with him. We can have union with him. We can have conversation with him. We can know him. And he can know us. The miracle of this story is that Sarah's not forgotten. She's given a great gift. Within the year, she has a son. But she is not forgotten. And my friends, neither are you. I, I will admit there are times that I feel forgotten. I feel like I, I, I've, I've lived a pretty good life. I've been a pretty good boy. I've avoided the, the bad stuff. I'm a pastor. But I just feel like, like, God, where are you? Do you even know who I am anymore? Do I even know you? Just a couple of things that are, are really important about this story is that Abraham and Sarah were faithful in the tasks that they were given to do. I wonder what would have happened if Abraham, waking up from his siesta, said, you know what, I'm just too tired. I'm going to nap. He calls a servant to host. I wonder if, if Sarah says, you know what, I'm 90. My hands are tired and old. We have 300 servants to make bread. Why are you asking me? I wonder how the story would have changed. But they did the jobs that were before them. They were faithful to the things that they were given to do. And they are open and receptive to conversation with God. And my prayer for you this morning, my prayer for myself, is that this week, you carve out time to have meaningful conversation with God. Maybe that's through a meal. Maybe that's actually through a quiet meal that you're going to host for yourself. Or a quiet meal with others but that you would actually invite God to speak to you and, and be grateful that no matter where you are in this journey, no matter how murky God seems to you, no matter how distant he seems, no matter how forgotten you feel that Christ 
has made that way possible to be in communion with the Father. And that is the greatest miracle of all. Let's bow our heads and invite the worship team to come on back up. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the fact that you are a living God. And throughout history, you have shown yourself over and over and over again to people, undeserving people. You've shown your character, your goodness, your love. And you've rolled out your plan through history. We thank you, Jesus, that it it culminated with you incarnate. It it culminated with your death and your resurrection. That you've made a way for us to to live in a garden-like experience with you again. That we can walk with you, we can talk with you, we can know you and be known by you. And Jesus, I thank you for that. And I pray for those who feel forgotten this morning. I pray for those who feel like you're, you're far away, you're distant. You're an abstraction, you're an idea. You're a belief system. Jesus, I pray that you would uh, break through. Then the quiet moments of, of our own uh, vulnerable hospitality, that you would speak to us. That you would be real to us. And Jesus, I pray that we would just be open to come, come, having conversation with you. I thank you, Jesus, that you haven't forgotten us, that you haven't forgotten me, you haven't forgotten anybody here in this room. And I ask that you'd uh, be with us for the rest of the day. In your name's sake. Amen. Thanks, Amos. So on that note, maybe uh, a good reflection for this song is knowing that uh, when it, we wonder, is, is God there, right? Is, is he, is he going to move? Is he going to do something? We're reminded that we're on the solid rock. So please stand with us and sing along.
we'll just remember as you leave this morning that no matter how dark the picture seems, murky, cloudy, confusing, no matter how troubling the situation is you're going through today, God has not forgotten you. He's personal, he's waiting for you, and he longs to speak into your situation. He longs to let you know that he's there for you and to carry your burden. Well, as you leave this morning, if you need prayer for anything, uh, please feel free to come up afterwards uh, and grab me here, and I'd love to pray with you uh, for whatever you're facing. Other than that, I want to thank you for coming this morning. As you leave here, may you know that God loves you. May you know that he's with you. And he's strengthening you, and he has not forgotten you. Go in his spirit. Go with his strength and be a blessing. You're dismissed. Thank you for coming. Thank you.